Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. We're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. This is episode 148. 148. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we're not dead by the coronavirus. Uh, oil prices are terrible, but we're alive. I think that's uh, I think that's the goal of the government now. Take all your money, take your job, make sure you're alive. I think uh, they're succeeding. I don't really feel alive though. I mean, I know I'm here. Uh, I can see you guys, but I don't really feel alive. This was we were just talking about this before we got on, Josh. Was it two? It's been two two weeks, two and a half weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, WT, two weeks and dog years. Two weeks. And dog. <laughs> feels like. It's, like it's been, been crazy. Year. If you just look back over a month ago, a month ago today, February twenty fourth, oil was trading at fifty one forty three. Now oh. it was, it was going down a little bit. But if you just look back, fifty one forty three a month ago, and uh, you know February twenty third, it was at fifty three. Of course, in January it hit, hit almost sixty dollars a barrel, or it did hit sixty dollars a barrel, it looks like. And uh, now we're at twenty 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 two twenty two. That's two twos. Uh, I'm not a math major, but that's okay. It's bad news. It's bad news. It's, uh, you take the current number, multiply it by three, and you get back to January prices. Well, I was thinking, coronavirus uh, gives us a good reason to uh, mark this podcast explicit. Let's just have fun <laughs> with it. Uh, tell you what, this has been uh, this has been a, a bad a bad couple of weeks for my language. Uh, these. <laughs> the people in, in charge of politics, uh, they are mm. they are firing me up, and all the people in the media mm. that are that are mm. absolute morons are, are are driving me up the wall as well. But I don't want to talk too much about that, Ryan. I think we can just go in and uh, be objective, uh, like Sergio Chapa, who's supposed to be getting <laughs> some stuff together for us. Um, just be objective and and calm, just calm. I think that's a better approach. You know, it's uh, it's funny because. We have roast month going on, or till well till tax day. Tax day is now July fifteenth. So oh, we got a long, long way to go. Jimmy from Oklahoma is uh, the only one in, and I understand why. I understand why. You got a lot more important things to do than to than to roast us. But if you want to get, you want to vent a little bit about the Saudis or the Russians or OPEC or Trump or coronavirus, the five star review is the place to do that. The five star review, and we will be sure to. Read your wonderful roast in the uh, the, next, the podcast uh, that that appears on. So, um, yeah, Josh, you know it's it's I don't know. It's the third downturn for me, and it's so fast and it's so traumatic. You know, you just sit there and go, "My gracious, what what has happened with this thing? It got off the rails fast and." Ugh, I know we have some articles to talk about it, yay, but it doesn't look like we're coming back anytime soon, which is a concern. I did I did find a glimmer of hope. I found one analyst who works for a large European company who told me the other, the other day that he thinks it could hit 50 by August. He says that he thinks the Russians and the Saudis are going to play nice in April, and the coronavirus will be worn off by summer. In July, maybe August, you could get $50 oil. I'm not saying $50 oil by August. I'm not saying I believe this man, but he's a really smart dude, and so take it for what it's worth. If you, need, if you need a small glimmer of hope today, there it is. There's your small glimmer. Don't get mad at me if it's $20 in, in August, though. 
we're going to do it fifty dollar oil. Nobody's there to buy it. Thirty percent I mean, unemployment. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're looking at right now. It's uh, mm. yeah, it's just got me a little little nervous uh, about about what. Uh, about what's going to play out, you know, as far as roast, you know, ro- you know, the tax season roast us. We should just start roasting the media and and all the all the politicians. Like I'd love to see, like big paragraphs with lots of, lots of, <laughs> just tear them up, man. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to see that. That would be that would be fun as well. Mm-hmm. But jumping in, Ryan, American oil drillers were hanging on by a thread. Then came the virus. We all knew this, right? Uh, the the Folks out in the Permian were having a hard time bringing in cash flow. That's that was a story uh, years ago when oil was fifty dollars a barrel. Um, the the companies were, were having a hard time turning a profit at a rate that would satisfy the investors. That was where we were at. People were starting to figure it out. They were getting they were getting to to margins where they were bringing in income. They were securing uh, financial investments. And it looked like um, we were approaching something near stability. We were, companies were ramping up. Chevron increased, EOG increased, Oxy increased, Exxon increased uh, all their spending. And, and it looked like it was going to be a great year. Uh, but a lot of the smaller companies, um, they were still trying to figure it out. And the coronavirus came in and basically guaranteed the failure of a lot of these companies with very small margins. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so true. It's like, oh, man. God, you know, the Russian side thing was, was going to be bad enough. And the coronavirus, I was texting, you know, me and Speakner, the prophet of doom, um, have been texting on a daily basis now. Um and you know, speaker is you can imagine we would have to make it an R-rated podcast um, oh, yeah. to to get his text on here. Um, but you know, speaker is quite upset, and you know, you sit back and you go, the Russians and the Saudis started this thing. But then, my, what I told speaker yesterday is, is, and I'm not I'm not saying this is what I want from a policy standpoint. But right now, as we sit here on was it March 23rd? As we sit here on March 23rd, it feels like the bottom, at least for the U.S., is going to be when all 50 states shut down. Like we keep saying, where's the bottom, where's the bottom? Until, unless the virus, you know, starts, the numbers start going down uh, soon, it feels like we're heading towards a 50-state shutdown. And I hope not. I think it's, you know, it's terrible from a policy standpoint. Um, I think that a lot of people that are pushing for the, the stay-at-home at the behest of the government should be careful what you wish for in a few years. But uh, with that being said... If we don't hit fifty, if we until we get to all fifty states shut down, Josh, I don't know how it's going to. I don't know how we get to the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and unless again the numbers turn, and I'm not saying you shouldn't social distance. I'm not saying you shouldn't work from home if you can work home. I'm not saying take the precautions. I'm just saying more of um, be careful what you wish for when the government comes in and tells you to stay at home. Um, that's you know, that's a that's a very slippery slope as we've seen historically speaking. But if that's the argument you want to deploy, that we should do that. We can debate that at a different time. My point is, until all 50 states shut down, and you feel like that's probably going to happen next week or two, we're probably not going to see the bottom of this thing because the demand still, as crazy as the craziest as this is, the demand growth still hasn't hit bottom. I think I saw, was it Australia or New Zealand? One has announced they're shutting down or getting ready to shut down. Did y'all see that? Um, and so, you know, Africa's trying to figure out what they're going to do. So until the world kind of just stops, 
and says, okay, we collectively stop, <laughs> you know, I don't know where the bottom of this thing is. Yeah, I, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to measure. Um, it, who would have thought last week we were going to be thinking about hotels going bankrupt? But um, the, the, the way this thing is about to trickle down through the economy or up the economy, trickle might not be the right word, uh, it, it's got a lot of repercussions that are hard to imagine. I just take for Louisiana, for example. I'm looking at, um, looking at the numbers here. 837 total cases, 20 deaths. They're doing a shelter in place. Is that what they called it, shelter in place? Mm-hmm. Um, they're levying fines, possible jail time if you're called out without a valid excuse. Now, people that are praising this as something that's good, uh, I have to tell you, I mean, if you go look at history when government step in and tell you you can't leave home without a valid excuse, well, who determines what a valid excuse is? I mean, this is we're, – we're getting in territory here that is that – is, um, it makes me nervous, uh, to say the least. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm for one, I'm very interested in, in history and, and how things have played out in different, uh, different countries over the, over the centuries. And government tell you when you can and can't leave your house, and they have to determine arbitrarily what a valid excuse is, that, that, gets, that, gets, uh, that gets in bad territory. And, I mean, we're talking about 20 deaths in Louisiana. I don't know. That that if we were at twenty thousand deaths in Louisiana and they were trying to scramble around and shut stuff down, I would be a little bit more understanding. But it just seems like they're if they can shut it down and, and put you in jail for leaving at this, then they can do it for anything. Yeah, and you know, the reality from the economic standpoint is is that when people aren't getting out, they're not you know they're not spending gas, they're not burning gasoline, less power consumption. Because so the um, my fear, I, th- I think you know. When we hit the bottom, whatever that is, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, whatever it might be, you know, oil will be so low, it's going to be pitiful. Um, I don't know what that price is, if that's, you know, $5, $10, $15, whatever. And then when they when things start picking back up, you will see kind of a, a nice spike because it will be so low because the demand, if things continue this pattern, right? If, 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 the, if the virus numbers stop next week, this the is going to be a quarter here right. before long. Right. And so if things continue this pattern, which is things are slowing down over time, but, um, but you know, if, if everything shuts down for you know, let's say a month, then you know, get you know, the oil price will drop substantially, and then when things pick up, it will have a nice little spike. But uh, that spike is going to be short-lived, or well, it won't be up and to the right always because of the unemployment. So it's it's a you know, I had someone ask me yesterday on on Twitter well, how long I thought WTI would be below fifty, and as it stands right now, um, you know, the the is it the St. Louis Fed, the Dallas Fed, they're predicting thirty percent unemployment, and so um, one thing to remember is. Trump will do his best to keep the price of oil down to help stimulate the economy post-coronavirus recovery. Because if you have $5 gasoline and you get 30% unemployment, what's going to happen? Folks can't afford to buy gasoline. Right? So Trump's... So just keep that in mind, too, that the, that the administration is going to... I don't know if they're going to try to keep it below 50 or not, but they're going to do their best to keep the price uh, from going to 70 and I don't think there's any reason it's going to go to 70, but theoretically, if it could, they'd be they'd be trying to uh, disincentivize that, uh, disincentivize that, to um, make sure that they can get people back to work. Texas layoffs adding up. No news. To anyone that's in the oil patch, uh, this is pretty common news. But uh, just looking at some of the numbers here, uh, recall oil oil field services laid off 50 workers. I saw Halliburton cut all uh, laid off 
a, a lot. I don't, I don't have the numbers here, but um, if, if you've been watching any of the news, uh, there's layoffs happening all over the place. I'm looking for a number here in the article. They, they had some numbers put in, but I, I, the layoffs are reaching uh, proportions that I don't think this country's ever seen. And yeah, so 1933, I think we had 24% unemployment. 24%, yeah. 24%. Now, I don't know if that was for the whole year, if that was an average. I don't know, but 24%. So if you just said, just for argument's sake, you said the average was 24% in 1933, so it would be higher at some points, maybe lower at some points, right? Um, but 24% is a substantial. Was, they, they call that, Nate, you're a historian here. 1933, there was a, they called that something during that time period. What did they call that in 1933? What was that called? Uh, the Great Depression. The Great Depression. That's what it's called, the Great Depression. And so... Well, I, yeah. <laughs> we're about to blow twenty four percent out the water. We're we're about to we're about to go. Josh is a bastion of sunshine this morning, isn't he, Nate? <laughs> well, <laughs> eternal optimist here. <laughs> He's a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> Look, I, I was hopeful last week. This week, I'm just I'm just pissed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to. I have to. Yeah, I, I, I do. Just all the way, all the way to work this morning. Just thinking about what we had to do. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast. I shut it off and I fumed all, <laughs> all the way, all the way in this morning. Oh, I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I just don't know what the way forward. There's one thing that that did come out. I think you sent it to me, Ryan. OPEC Secretary General invites Texas RRC sitting to Vienna meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we talked a little bit about that. I know there's some antitrust laws that uh, Anas mentioned when he was on the show last. Mm-hmm. Was that last week? Yeah, that was last, yeah, last that's week. Yeah, how, that's how crazy it's been. Last week, Anas was on. Yeah. It feels like that was been two or three months ago. Yeah. This time last year, me and Mr. Hansen were in South Africa. Yep. We were. That feels like a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> Forever ago. <laughs> so this OPEC and Sitton... Is this anything legitimate? To, is there any legitimate expectations that we should have from this? That, that, the question I have is, is, will we relax those antitrust laws, and is this even something that we want to do? Yeah. Well, if the outgoing commissioner around sitting wants to go on the podcast, then, then he's welcome to. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny. He's been in the news a lot since he's lost his primary. And, uh, of course, he's one. He's, you know, he owns a business in the – oil gas space as well so um uh, again this is you know i know david blackman came out and said that he's for limiting production i know speakers for limiting production i i think you know josh and and it's unpopular right now to have the position that i have and i and i get it i really do it sucks right now what's going on out there um there are layoffs people losing their jobs um, no, no timetable in, in sight to get them back. It's terrible. But just remember, and, and I'll make a nice, easy equation for you. We had 9-11. It was terrible. Them dudes is still listening to our cell phone calls, and we in 2020. How long has that been? 19 years. Yeah. And they still spy on us. Yeah, I mean Snowden. And, I mean that whole deal. I mean his and, right. And so and I think they changed some of it a little harder on them. But 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 the point is is that sitting outgoing commissioner sitting should be said outgoing commissioner sitting going to OPEC. You know, um, yeah, I'm sure for for you know you had to question kind of what's going on there because he's going out of the business out of the commissioner's into the business world. 
Um, they're talking about regulating the amount of oil they, you know, they, they could be produced. Well, who determines how much per company gets to produce? Who? I mean, there's all kinds of questions. You just start, you start saying, well, okay, there's, there's, you know, a hundred companies or whatever it is, and who determines how much each company can who you drill? Trust to make those decisions, right? I mean. um, you know, and so that it's, I don't want mass layoffs. I don't want this to happen. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying I won't. This is terrible. I had to look people in the eye last week myself and just say you did nothing wrong, but you don't have a job. It's the worst thing in the world. But I don't know Ryan sitting from Adam. I don't know Wayne Christian. I don't know Christy Craddock. I don't know Donald Trump. I don't know these people, um, and I'm never going to know them. And so um, they're elected officials, you know. And I know the flaring thing is controversial. People want them to regulate flaring and all that, but just again. Just be careful what you wish for. Um, I don't want the. I wish the Russians and the Saudis would not do what they're doing, but they are. And the final thing I'll say is, Josh, is if one of our clients right now was doing what the Russian or one of your clients, listener, if one of your clients was doing what the Russians and Saudis are doing, so let's say you work for Exxon and they're battling Ch- Ch- uh, Chevron. Let's just make that up. And you're working for Exxon and I'm working for Chevron. Would either one of us be out here complaining? about, oh, my gosh, this is terrible, this is in the world, and they were crushing the world markets. Or would we sit there and cash some checks and be hiring folks? We'd be cash them checks and we'd be hiring folks. We would feel bad for other people. We'd be like, man, that sucks. Uh, I mean, I really feel bad for you. But when the shoe's on the other foot and it sucks like it is for us right now, you had to be careful to want to legislate those people to act the way that you want them to act. Where if you're working for... You know, Pioneer, and Pioneer's blowing and going, and your buddy's working for, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, Oxy or Marathon or whoever. You don't, at that time, I've never heard anyone call up and say, hey, Railroad Commission, we're doing, we're making a million dollars a day from uh, Pioneer. Please, please regulate this so that we'll make less money than my buddy can, right? Yeah. So I know it sucks, guys. I know people are losing money. I'm losing money, so I'm not, this is not, I'm not some freaking Bloomberg journalist who's just typing up op-ed pieces who never has to do this. I'm not saying this as someone who doesn't feel the pain. I feel the pain. I'm just trying to caution everyone. Be careful what you wish for because you, you're probably not going to get what you want. And if the shoe was on the other foot and we were crushing the Saudis and the Russians, I have very little doubt um, that we would be calling for the, the OPEC to come and for our government to then regulate to help them out. Yeah, it reminds me of a story of the people that wanted a king and the king ended up not only not giving the people what they wanted, but actually making slaves out of the people. So I'm always skeptical when the government gets power, when they get extra power to legislate anything, it always ends up working in their favor, not ours, 100% of the time. So if we get somebody start that joined OPEC, it's going to help the person who joined OPEC, not the people that he's representing, typically. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, Sittens will be out of office in a few months. Yeah. So he'll be out of office. He owns an oil field service company. So I'm not saying he's a bad dude. I don't know the man. I'm just saying it's even weirder to have the, the outgoing commissioner go to OPEC and then you know talk to them about, about whatever. So, I mean, okay, why don't we have one of those people that's going to be there at least for a couple more years on to go on our behalf um, if we're going to if we're going to do that. So again, Commissioner Sitton, you're welcome to to come on and uh, defend your position if you so choose. But and listen, Speakner is going to crush me. Speaking because he he you know he's wanting regulation he's wanting the pricing floor he's wanting them to tax the Saudis so um, but you know folks I'd love to hear your thoughts as always I'm sure that will get a few angry comments from our listeners well, you, just, sure. you just helped the case for Rosemont. So. <laughs>
so there's an article, uh, uh, Jurgen, oil crash has similarities to 1998 and 1930s. Can't you get one positive article? Like, I mean, what is the deal today? Can you get one thing? Like, give me one. It's Apocalypse Day. It's Apocalypse Day. Like, it's like doing a podcast with Spears. Like, give me one positive note. One. One positive note. Um, Positive note. Uh, There's a Devon Energy provides hedge position update. (laughs) He can't even read it. There's a hedge. There's there's another article coming up. (laughs) Hedges. Where's Sergio? He can't even be chipper when he reads it. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I'm not happy today, guys. <laughs> In case you haven't noticed. Oh, it does suck. Listen, it does suck. I'm not trying to... I am not trying to act like it doesn't suck. It's just funny that... You- <laughs> I think you and Stephanie, the intern, are conspiring right now to get like all the doom and gloom articles. Or maybe there is just, there's just not a single positive article out there. Well, you got people that are saying uh, oil is going to be fifty dollars a barrel uh, in August. <laughs> not many articles out there saying that. Oh gracious! Oh gracious! That's funny. Oh well. <laughs> well. Good news. In 1998, oil prices fell to $10 a barrel, um, and we're not there yet, so that's great news. Is that adjusted for inflation or not? <laughs> it might be worse. Don't ask that question. <laughs> oh, Good point. Man. Good point. Mm. Oh, it's bad. It's crazy. I'm not as old as Jurgen. This is my third downturn, one natural gas, two oil. It's crazy, man. It is crazy. I mean, 1998, I was in a... Eighth grade, so yeah, I wasn't really, you know, track of the markets like like I am now. So uh, I can't speak to eight, 1998. Great Depression, they were at thirteen cents a barrel. How much did a barrel cost back them days? That's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering what you know, what is what is that and you know adjusted for inflation. Mm. Twenty-two dollars or something. Mm. Stephanie, the intern, y'all got to find us some positive articles. Josh is in here like picking out all the. Let's see here. Oh, uh, I bet you're gonna go next. Crude futures at worst level since 2003. That's your probably your next article, isn't it? No, actually, I got that one out. I, I, <laughs> I thought we were, we were hammering it a little too much. <laughs> Cruise falls below twenty for the. This is okay. I'm just gonna read these for the people. These are the headlines that you and Stephanie, the intern, have. Crude falls below twenty for the first time since 2002. Oh, well, why shell skeptics are wrong. See? That's see? There's see. A, there you go. Uh, then you got Texas shell producers asked uh, state to limit oil production. Uh, Railroad commissioner, we just did that one. Um, U.S. oil industry asked Trump for regulatory relief during coronavirus outbreak. U.S. seeks $3 billion to boost oil producers as prices plunge. Texas congressman asked Interior to cut Gulf oil. Uh, as uh, in gas royalties, Tanaris lays off 900 jobs. I mean, I just it's just like That's Stephanie, don't feed is. this machine. <laughs> Work against Josh Shelton, please. Let's see, let's see what we got good here. Let's see. Hard energy opinion: Why shell skeptics are wrong. Um, so, U.S. shell revolution has been the story of anti-hero produced benefits. Uh, well. It depends on 
It depends on w- you know what the skeptics, who the skeptics are, and this is something we talk about on the show repeatedly. If you say shell companies cannot make it in low price environment, okay, then you say which shell companies? All of them? Well, no. Okay, so some shell companies can't make it in low price environment, right? Well, most of them can't. Well, okay, that's that's fine. But you know, guess what? Most companies can't make it in a low-price environment, no matter the industry. How many airlines are there in the U.S.? Four, five, six, seven, ten, fifteen. I don't know. That's How many are more than regional airlines? A dozen or so. Yeah. And so you think about that. There's there's a dozen, and I, I think a lot of those small ones are actually owned by the bigger ones. But anyways, um, let's say there's a dozen ones that go across. Um, well, if you look at like the difference between Spirit and Delta, it's it's astonishingly different. You know, Spirit runs on basically trying to get you on a cheap ticket and then you know um, upcharge you everywhere they can. You know, bags, walking on the airplane, sitting on the airplane, going to the bathroom. You know, they're going to hit you. Looking at the flight attendant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Opening your window, turn your vent on. You know, all that's like five dollars a piece. And Delta has a you know whatever their model is. It's you know a little bit more flight, paper bag, whatever. Um, it's a different model. The only point is. Right now, in a low-price environment, the airlines is getting destroyed. So sometimes, now some airlines might be doing better than others, but the point is, when, you, when you're dealing with the skeptics or the pro-show people, it's, 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 it's too broad to actually kind of get in there and say what will or will not happen, unless you're speaking there. You, know, you, you just think, you know, full-blown Armageddon. And I guess, I guess which, would we consider Spinkner a skeptic? That's a good question. He's pretty confident. I don't know if he's skeptical yeah, he's about anything. He's credulous. <laughs> he's just credulous negatively. He's pretty confident in his uh, opposition to oil, and, to oil and gas as an oil and gas investor himself. So one of the one of the key phrases in this article, um, which is interesting, is um, this guy says, uh, which is why I scratched my head at the return of normalcy thesis and its claims that Russia's actions are economically founded. What are U.S. shell producers doing? U.S. oil companies are trying to supply the wor- world with energy at some reasonable amount of profit. Russia is making a short-term bet that it can have a long-term revenge by bringing forth a world with fewer oil and gas producers, higher prices, and more opportunities for Russia to assert energy power. I don't know that that's what they're doing. Uh, I, I'm just not, I'm not sure that he's working off, he's assuming the motives there, what they're trying to do. Well, uh, what do you think they're doing? Well, it seems to me that um, the coronavirus <coughs> Uh, caused oil demand to begin to drop. The U.S. was continuing to produce, and Russia was taking a beating on their cuts that they've committed to over the last year, two years. And they were in a position with the falling demand. Were they going to continue to take a beating, or were they going to start upping some production in order to get some relief? I think they were making the decision, we need relief. They they were looking for, they, they were losing money, Oil prices were dropping, demand was dropping, and they were in a position where they wanted to to, to get relief. And they, that's why they I don't think they agreed to do the cuts that OPEC recommended is because they. But how would open how would drilling more increase your production? I mean, give them relief. More money. But they but they had to drill more to match the following price. I think that's what they're saying. They're so when I say make more money, I'm not saying make more than they did last month. I'm saying make more than they're about to make for the next six weeks. 
when oil prices are dropping, are they just going to absolutely get hammered or are they going to be able to increase some money? Now, I, I don't think they anticipated the Saudis doing what they did. That Nobody expects the Saudis. Yeah, that, that was not what I think they anticipated. So you're, you're, you're just to recap it so I understand. You're saying the Russians were looking at it going, okay, we anticipate the price to go from, making up numbers here, 50 to 37, okay? And for us to make the same amount of money, we had to produce from this level to this level. And so they were trying to figure out what that delta was and then to increase production. So they would basically, at 37, would more or less make the same money they made at 50. Or and or at least it, when, it, when it dropped from 50 to 37, uh, looking at it and think they're afraid that their oil company is going to go bankrupt. I know that's not how it works there, so uh, just kind of speaking shorthand, rather than feel the full brunt of the pain that's about to happen when the oil drops from 50 to 37, they can offset some of that with more production. Yes, so, I'm saying, yeah. yeah. yeah so. They're making a million dollars at 50. They want to figure out how to make a million at 37, and the way to do that is to increase production so you make a million at 37 yeah. and do 50. Right, yeah. More, right. Just, yeah, more or less. More or less, less, yeah. Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that probably... I, I said this on Energy Week a few weeks ago. I think we have to look at these decisions and realize when, you know, when you go, you know, we like going to Brahms here in, in Granbury. When I go to Brahms, what's the main reason I go to Brahms, Josh? You know this. Old-fashioned Sunday. Old-fashioned banana split. Oh, yeah. Old-fashioned banana split. Yeah. All right. So the main reason I go to Brahms is the banana split. Okay. There's other reasons. One, uh, it's easy to, you know, it's, they've got a big dining area, so if I'm going to go sit down and eat, it's nice and it's really crowded. Two, they also have a little little uh, grocery store in there, so if I want to get some you know, stuff to take home, it's good. Three, um, it's pretty conveniently located, so you can get in and out of it. So you start going through. There, there's places that I like they are a little bit more cumbersome to get to. I just don't go to them as often. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I like them more or less than Brahms. It just means that all things being equal, there's other factors that I weigh in. And so while the Russians are doing what the Russians are doing, um, to make a one-to-one argument, and, and, I, and I don't think that's what you're doing, but um, I think we see a lot of that being talked about, well, they're doing it because of this. Well, okay, yeah, it's because of this, it's probably because of this, and it's because of this, and they're aware of this. You know, there, there's a lot of factors that they're considering, and then we are on, um, um, on, the, on the receiving end of it. But So I do think what you're saying is, part, is probably within their mind. Hey, we're going to lose money. Um, but my counter to that would be is if the Russians go, we're going to lose a bunch of money, so we're going to keep production up. Then, they have to, then the part of that conversation would be is, well, if we bucket, the Saudis are going to get pissed at us. Are we prepared to go to battle with the Saudis? Okay. And, if, and then they would also consider, well, what's, the, what's Trump going to do? Because this is going to hurt the U.S. So there's a lot of things that are being discussed when they're, when they're, when they're figuring this out, I would have to imagine. Um, and what you're saying is probably one of them, what other people are saying is probably one of them. I think ultimately um, trying to make it too flat and too simple is what we want to do. It's just not the reality of what's going on to a decision like that. Because, you know, if you go to buy a house... You don't buy a house just because it has four bedrooms, three baths, and a white picket fence. You buy it because it has, you know, for you guys, y'all live in a cul-de-sac, so your kids can not play, right? So you start thinking about the simple decisions that we make and how complex we make those. A decision like this is probably a little bit more uh, thought out uh, than, 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 than what the media portrayed it to be. Does that, does that make sense? I agree. There's going to be there's gonna be multiple reasons um, for why they're doing it, and, and I'm, I'm sure they weren't just thinking uh, in one-dimensional terms. I'm, I'm sure they, they had thought through different possibilities, and they 
decided to you know roll the dice or, or move forward and you know they may have had they may have had all this planned out so I'm, I'm not I'm not denying that either it just seems to me that would be more likely because it it's more human to I see that you know my wages are going to be cut in half so my I'm going to up my my hours by you know 50 percent in order to offset some of that it's just a uh, a simple way to think about it but uh, Ryan I think uh I think Russia's and Saudis are playing nice in April is a great idea. Uh, I think I think if they could uh, be reconciled and and stop producing altogether, <laughs> would, would be a a great thing. Great thing for oil prices. Great thing for Texas producers. Great thing for this podcast. Uh, I'm just not sure they are. I think what, what's the next meeting for OPEC? June. June. Why they? Why is he saying April? Well, they can call an emergency meeting whenever they want to. Listen, here's what I want. Here's what I want. I want June 1, the roast come in. And they're like, hey, you two baboons, you are so stupid. You have no idea what you're talking about. We could get monkeys on here that know more about the oil and gas industry because obviously oil is at $75 a barrel now, and you guys are talking about it's going to be the end of the world. Like, that would make my day. Oh, yeah. That would make my day. Um, but I don't know. Don't think that's where we're heading at. See, now you're getting me all depressed. Yeah. I was, I was okay. I was feeling pretty good this morning. I came in, had them at McDonald's. Well, just uh, so look about the hedges. Mention those again. Uh, we we are going to get um, a particular journalist on that uh, to discuss this at some point, right? Uh, I don't know. You know, who knows? Well, that guy, he's big time. He went on. CNBC or some small network like that the other day. So that's a that's a big step down. I know I couldn't believe you took a took a took a cut in viewership to do that, but whatever. All right, Ryan. Well, uh, now we're going to move to the Texas Roundup. Uh, just there was a lot of articles that Stephanie the intern sent. I'm just going to mention a few of them. Uh, the reason that I'm just going to mention a few of them. <laughs> you can't take her. I can't. I can't. Can't take the pain of yeah, her, reading them her, all. Her, yeah. <laughs> Pioneer Natural Resources chopped spending by forty-five percent, cuts rig count. Um, Tenaris lays off nine hundred as demand for pipeline projects crumbles. Haynes and Boone M and A deal structured through bankruptcy panel in Dallas. So uh, not too chipper, but uh, that's that's the news in industry right now. There's several others that are that are circulating out there. Um, one of the questions that I have for the producers, again, is revolving around the hedges. So um, let's see. This one says, Devon Energy Corp provided an update regarding its oil and natural gas hedge position. The company has approximately 80% of its estimated oil production in 2020 protected at an average floor price of nearly 45 WTI. Yeah, and let's just stop real quick because that doesn't mean that they're going to drill necessarily more wells. It depends on how the hedges are structured, and I'm not a hedging expert, so maybe we can get someone on to kind of explain all that. But um well, that's a big, that'd be a big deal. I mean, because that would give us some sense, that would give the service industry some sense of comfort to know that they have jobs, you know, at least through 2020 with these hedges. But Well, uh, but it depends on when, with the, with the production. Yeah. I so, like, you know, if you're saying, well, we can drill, you know, one well uh, a week or whatever, instead of doing 15 wells, we can drill one well a week and hit our hedges, um, then, you know, that doesn't necessarily do it. But... Listen, I gotta, I gotta say here, um, I feel like Stephanie the intern has been corrupted. I didn't want to bring this up, but I, I need to. Um, 
I didn't see in our notes this week the drilling down from Sergio Chapa. And I just need to point something out here. Barnett Shell, an eight-week horizontal drilling permit drought came to an end in North Texas. Spring-based JBL Oil & Gas plans to drill a horizontal uh, gas well in Parker County, while Paradise-based Lakota Energy plans to drill another one in Wise County. Both wells target the Newark Eastfield of the Barnett Shell. First off, Stephanie did not include that. Eight-week drought. An eight-week drought. (laughs) (laughs) He did that on purpose. In the midst, in the midst of, it's not, it's not the top story. I don't even know why it's not the top story. Because when we don't get a well filed, what's the top story? We didn't get the well filed, uh, well, well, well permitted. But here we go. So, I think Stephanie Intern and, and Sergio are conspiring to to keep out the the positive news. It's good to see the Barnett's rising up in time like this. They're stepping up and showing how it's done with our what with a uh, one rig boom. It looks like so. There's our one rig boom um, for the Barnett and. Uh, I just found it's funny, you know, we finally get an eight-week drought, and Stephanie just, her and Sergio just failed to mention that in the in the show notes. So, I mean, we can't get no love up here, bro. I mean, this is just, uh, bad news all the way around. It is bad news. Folks, be out there, be safe, do practice whatever the social distancing requirements are, six feet, ten feet, you know, whatever. Um, and, um, I guess, I mean, you know, hopefully send, send Josh some flowers, some chocolates, a teddy bear, something nice for him to snuggle. Uh, maybe he'll be like scrounging you next week. Of course, all sitting at 22. I'm not, you know, depending on how this week goes, he might be more grouchy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just like how I'm the grouchy on the show, and then now you're, you're. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be better next week. I'll be better next week. I'm coming with good news next week. Good news. Good news. Good news. We may have to change the name of the podcast or something. Not related to old. But. <laughs> okay, well, folks, be sure to check out the show notes and everything else. We will be back next week. Unless, oh, I guess we should say, I guess it is possible that we could be some kind of quarantine situation and can't do a show. But as long as we're not, um, we're going to try to set up for remote access so we don't have that happen. Um, but anyways. Until next week, keep climbing.